loves, welcome back to Strip Down. I'm so stoked for today. I have been trying to figure out how to have this awesome guy on my podcast and dad. We've been chatting for quite some time. He was actually on my other podcast, my co-host, Amanda Lauren, on Things Are Too Lazy to Blog About. It's actually how I first met him. And I just love what he's doing with his show and his podcast. It's, you know, a real... American self-help and comedy podcast mixed in one with all his personal experiences of substance abuse and addiction, how now he is five years sober, everything that he's doing and sharing in his own real, raw, authentic life to help others, as well as, of course, heal himself further. I have Dave from the Dopey Podcast, who is a dad of two and working a ton in New York City at a uh, restaurant, hopefully hopefully not right now with everything of what's going on, but uh, Dave, welcome to my show. I'm so happy to have you here. Thanks, Allie. I'm happy to be here, too. I can't believe it's been, how long has it been since you and Amanda came on Dopey? Oh I my gosh, I, it's been such a like it's been such a long time. We had so much fun with you. I, I know. I was thinking about that the other day when we were talking about you coming on my show. I was like, wow, when like when was that? Like almost two years ago now? Like time flies. I know, I know. I remember I was with uh you know, because when we did that show, I mean and the the quick the quick version is I started Dopey with my friend Chris and uh who I met in rehab and Chris wound up dying. Um, he died, uh, yes, I remember that. I'm he so, died again, a year I'm and so a half sorry. ago, but when you went on the show, we were at Chris's parents' house in the Hamptons. And I remember we were sitting at the computer in his parents' breakfast nook and, uh, we had a lot of fun. It's just crazy. It's crazy. The way life changes so quickly is the thing, you know, and, and obviously you're pregnant and you're going to have another baby and you have a baby and I have two kids and, you know, like, um, I know it's crazy, right? Like life just keeps moving and you just keep going. And that's what I really honestly, Dave, what I love about you and what I love about the Dopey podcast is like, you know, you really are so great about sharing how much it continues to move and everything that happens and all the different experiences of your life that continue to evolve and shape you and, you know, help even you in your own growth as an adult, but then you're also helping others in healing and what they're going through and knowing they're not alone. And, you know, I'm sure you've also brought that into, you know, fatherhood and why you're an amazing father to your two children. So I just think like, that's incredible. Nice. Yeah. I do my best. You know, I, I, uh, <laughs> we all I mean, do, you know, it's, you, you just do your best. That's all you can do. Totally. I, I never would have, um, I don't think I would have ever gotten sober. Like it was one of those chicken and the egg things, but I don't think I ever would have gotten sober if uh, we hadn't had our first daughter. And, um, you know, I, I basically met, I met my wife years and, years and we never got married. So I met my partner years and years ago and um, we never saw each other again. And I met her again when uh, my mother was dying and we wound up hitting it off. And then like six months later, my mother, my mother dies and we give birth to this baby and I'm a drug addict. So like I needed to figure out a way to make a change. And I don't think I would have ever made a change if we didn't, if she hadn't gotten pregnant. It was like, it was like a miracle for me uh, to, to find change personally. That, that's how I, that's the only reason I got sober was because we had a kid. You know, I don't think I would have been able to do it otherwise. And it took but me that, years. That's after. so cool. And like, I think that's so awesome to share because, you know, it's like everyone has their different things that, you know, gets them to turn around and what they're doing in life and, you know, however they're handling things. And 
obviously, you know, once you found out that you had a, you know, a little life coming into the world, you wanted to give them everything and you, you know, got sober and you reshaped yourself. And like, that's so amazing because so many people don't do that or, you know, aren't able to do that. Right. Totally. I mean, I wasn't able to, I didn't get, I didn't get sober, sober until uh, my older daughter was, I think, uh, I want to say five, you know, I, I was using while she was a little kid, I, I managed to stop doing heroin when she was very little, but I kept smoking weed and, and taking pills occasionally. And I wanted to get sober, but I just couldn't. And whenever I talk about it on the show, I like, I make it sound like it's obvious that a parent would get sober when in reality, I, I think I got very lucky. You know, I think, I mean, I, I really think, of, and I don't like to sound schmaltzy with this kind of stuff, but I really think recovery is quite like magical and miraculous and you cannot anticipate when it's going to happen. It's like, I, I wanted to get sober forever. I, it just wasn't happening. And, uh, and eventually something clicked in me where I was just so tired of being uh, a fuck up. I was so tired of choosing myself and choosing to get high as opposed to, to choosing uh, to be an adult, really to be a, a good father, a, a good person to, you know, I remember it very well. I, it was the summer. It was summer. Like was, I'm not five years clean yet. I'm going to be five years clean, hopefully in August. So it was August, uh, five years ago. And I was sitting in my kitchen and I was, uh, and my wife had found out that I was taking pills, uh, with the baby in the house and she was going to, she took custody away from me. And I was writing her this letter, uh, begging her to let me smoke weed and keep custody. And I'm writing and I'm like, it's like a hundred degrees in the kitchen and I'm chain smoking cigarettes and I'm like desperately trying to get her to agree to let me smoke pot and have the baby when it occurs to me, like, how can I be begging for that? And that was kind of the moment that I was like, you know what, I'm just going to try to just going to try to be sober and, and do the deal and, and really like practice a 12 step fellowship. And, and that was it, you know, it was, but it was years and years and years and years of, of many terrible mistakes and many, many bad decisions that led me to one moment where I finally said, I'm not going to do it. You know? Yeah. Why do you think you had that moment? Like, do you remember in that moment, like what kind of clicked or like what was going on with you? Yeah, I do. It was, what it was, was, I mean, I was, um, a long time heroin addict, a long time IV heroin addict, a long time methadone addict, a long time uh, benzodiazepam addict. And I mean, I would take handfuls of pills every day. I was on 150 milligrams of methadone. I, I was shooting $300 of heroin a day. I was like a mess forever, you know, for like 15 years. I was a total, and I smoked weed the whole time. I was a total mess. And, you know, when you do that, that kind of volume of drugs, you need to figure out how to get money. You need to figure out how you're going to be taken care of. You know, you need to like be in all these situations to make sure that your next dose is coming to you or whatever. So over 15 years, there were countless just stupid, stupid moves, arrests, you know, rehabs, detoxes. I lived in Manhattan forever. I lived in uh, Echo Park in Los Angeles for a good seven years on methadone. I was copying downtown LA. I was copying in Brooklyn. And uh, basically you can't do that. I mean, I was never wealthy. So like you can't do that kind of stuff without making a lot of terrible mistakes. Um, 
So like you, I would steal, I would sell shit that wasn't mine. I lived off uh, girlfriends for years. I lived off my parents. Um, I fucked up jobs. And um, so by the time my partner Linda got pregnant, you know, my mother had just died and I had just gotten off methadone because I wanted my, I was living in, the long story is I was living in Los Angeles and my mother told me she had leukemia. So I decided I should move back to New York because I didn't want my mother to die while I was living in Los Angeles on methadone, methadone. So I, um, I kicked methadone over the course of many, many months and I moved back East and, uh, I couldn't stop smoking weed and I couldn't stop taking pills, but, um, I moved back East and, uh, I got to spend a bunch of time with my mother, uh, and then she died. And then, like I said, within a few months, Linda was pregnant and, um, and I wasn't taking heroin, but I was smoking weed and I didn't want to stop. And as the pregnancy advanced, I wound up relapsing on heroin and, um, and Linda found out and Linda left me with the baby. So basically I, I sunk into this crazy depression. I was working at a deli in Manhattan and, um, and I was making really good money actually. Uh, but I was so depressed and Linda and the baby were not around and I, I really sunk into heavy, heavy, heavy heroin use. And, um, and it was nuts. You know what I mean? Like it was nuts. I was, uh, I was shooting like $300 a day, like I said, and I was, uh, still maintaining my life at work, but living crazy, living alone and like, you know, uh, there was a point where they had changed. This is a dumb story, but they had like the dealer stopped selling me heroin and he started selling me this stuff called, um, uh, ketamine, oh, which yeah. is kind of like, uh, they call it special K and like you, you wind up, uh, I wound up like sleepwalking on it. And one night I woke up outside of my apartment in my underwear oh, wow. uh, and, I, and I locked myself out of the, out of the house and I had to call my dad to come let me back in. It was just a series of, of terrible mistakes until finally I went to rehab and, um, and I got off of heroin and I got custody and then somehow through stupidity, I wound up relapsing back on weed. It was just over and over and over again, me begging for having my daughter in my life and me making terrible decisions until that moment of that summer, it just all crystallized. Like, why am I begging to smoke weed when my life has been so pathetic and so chaotic for my whole adult life? Why don't I just try to do the sober thing? you know, and, uh, and it was very, very uncomfortable, but I, I just kind of had a moment where I agreed with myself to give up on being a drug addict. Okay. So, so you had, long like, literally, it's a, long, it's a, you long had a moment where you just really came to and were like, I'm done with this. Yeah. I, I just, what I said was I was 41 years old and I said, I've spent about half of my life doing drugs and all I have to show for it is I'm a waiter in a deli and um, I have a kid and I have an addiction and I don't have any money and I don't have anything. Like, why don't I see what 20 years without drugs would give me? Cause I've always been a creative person and I've always wanted to make stuff and I've always been ambitious, but my ambition just turned into drug addiction. So when I was 41, I said, well, why don't I just see as an experiment what some time, 
without taking drugs would give me. And, and that's where I, I decided to get sober. And, and that, and I just did it. You know, I did it. I went to a meeting and I wasn't ready to do it, but I went to the seven thirty in the morning meeting and the dude was like, we would love it if you came back. And that was the first time I ever went to a meeting and somebody wanted me to come back. So I started going back and I, I somebody was like, you know, meetings aren't going to get you clean, but if you actually take suggestions and actually work the 12 steps, you can actually change. And I, I had been around meetings forever, but I had never worked the steps. And I was like, I need something to change. I need to take suggestions. So I did. And, uh, and as soon as I started taking the suggestions, my life changed. And, uh, and as soon as my life started to change, I didn't want to give up the time that I had accumulated. And that was really the beginning for me. Wow. I mean, that's such a, you know, like a a raw journey. And I appreciate you, you know, sharing it because I think it's important that, you know, people know like you can get out of your own shit and you you can change things and like look at what you're doing now. Like you said, like you have, you know, your two kids and, you know, you're, you're happy and you've been sober for five years and you're living, you know, in your city with, you know, your little ones and your partner and, you know, you're working and you're happy and have this amazing podcast, a dope podcast. It's all people turn to, to have that self-help and to feel like they have that relation to you and they, you know, understand, you know, what, you know, you went through or what they're going through. And I just think like there needs to be more of that. Like I always say, People need to share more of their real and raw, whatever their struggles are. Even if it doesn't feel, you know, maybe as big as something like this, you're still always helping people and you're still always, you know, making yourself that much more relatable to others who are going through something who feel like that they can't get out or that they're stuck and they don't know how to move forward. And like you just said, like you got to a place where you were just like, okay, I'm done with this. Like I, I, I need to change what's going on in my life. Totally. Totally. I mean, I also think I I never would have wanted to do it. It was, it was, it was experiencing what it was like to be a father where like, you know, I was alone with a little girl and I had to make sure she ate and I had to make sure she got cleaned and I had to make sure she got to bed. And I, I mean like, and when I experienced it, it was like, holy shit, I get to be somebody besides the kind of cartoon character that I always was. And it was a, it was a great gift. Wow. So you think because she depended on you and because you had to actually do, like you said, adult things and everything else, that was like where you were like, wow, I get to actually like be of service to someone else and I get to give to them. And that's what made you really want to be in that spot. Totally. Also because my, my parents were like really good parents and I was just this kind of cliche, spoiled, fuck up drug addict. And, and here I am, this fuck up drug addict with, with a kid. And I knew better. You know what I mean? I knew better. And um, it was a coalescing of having good parents and wanting to be a good parent that, uh, that turned it around for me. Wow. I mean, I think that's amazing because, again, like there's so many people who feel stuck and feel like they can't move forward and you're showing like yes you can and like you said you had many fuck-ups and you had many hurdles and many different things that went on before you got to here it wasn't just like oh 
I'm going to get sober. And then, you know, boom, you were sober. No, absolutely. I mean, but that's, that's the craziest part. Like whenever I talk to anybody, it's like there were a billion chances that I could have gotten better earlier and I just didn't. And um, so I always tell people like, just because you, you screw it up now doesn't mean you're not going to get it. But on the other hand, like my friend, Chris, uh, he had uh, four and a half years. He had exactly the same amount of time that I have right now. And he wound up relapsing and then he wound up dying. So he didn't get the chance. He didn't get the chance to fix it. So when, when I talk to people who are struggling, it's like on one hand, yeah, you probably will get another chance, but not definitely because this thing is killing everybody now because this uh, fentanyl has replaced the heroin and it's, you know, much, much deadlier. So it's like, yes, you want to say there are opportunities to get it, but right now it's a very dangerous world. Right. Well, so much has changed, right? Like even with like weed and everything, it's like that people are like wasting things and adding things and you don't even know really like what you're truly getting. And, and like you said, it's, it's a, it's a dangerous game. Well, and I think it's good for you to share that too, because, you know, again, for those that think, oh, I'll just try it, you know, only one more time. Like you just said, there's no guarantees. And sadly for, you know, your friend and your podcast partner, Chris, like he, you know, passed after, you know, going back. And I'm sure that was so hard for you, especially being someone who is so not just close to him, but also had a very like similar journey and, you know, close to amount of the time sober. I'm sure it was very sobering for you to be like, Oh my God, like I can't, I can't do this again. Yeah, it definitely was. I mean, what, what happened to me was um, it was uh, two summers ago and I had this other friend, his name was Todd and I went to college with him. And he was one of my very, very closest friends. And he was also the person that I had done more drugs with than anybody else. He could not get his shit together. And, uh, and he wound up actually dying before Chris in that summer. And uh, he, he overdosed, uh, I want to say in June, and it destroyed me. Like, I, 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 cannot, I don't spend a day since then without thinking about this guy. And, uh, and six weeks later, it happened to Chris. So it was like this ridiculously traumatic summer for me. Also, we had just had our second daughter uh, when Todd and Chris died, and we had just moved into a house on Long Island. Oh, um, wow. So it was like this total cacophonous, climactic summer of insanity. You know, two of my best friends died. We had a baby, and we lived in a house. You know, it was like, it was pretty crazy. And... um you know, I still have a hard time making sense of it um, because death is very, 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 very um, final and, yes. and, and very, very abstract because memory, like everyone says, you know, the person lives on inside of you, but they don't live on. So like, it's just whatever, however it ends is how it ends. And you're stuck with the feelings about it. And like Chris and I had made a show about the funny parts about being drug addicts, you know, and part of me felt guilty that maybe we had handled it wrong because he died from it. Like maybe we shouldn't have acted like it was funny at all. Um, it was very, very, very uh, difficult. Um, and, and Todd dying was even worse because he was basically family. Um, wow. It was insane, really. And even looking back on it is insane. 
Um, yeah, I'm sure. Well, and when you were going through that and, you know, like having those deaths so close apart and everything and, and, and having it be, you know, when you were, um, having your second daughter and, you know, moving into this home and everything else, do you remember in that moment, like, did you think about like going back to what you had done before because it was so hard or were you in a place where you were like, okay, no, this is messed up, but like, I'm going to get through it. And, you know, I, I have other things to look forward to. Like, how did you, how did you feel in that moment? Well, I mean, I, I, the audience is mostly drug addicts, you know, and it's a, it's a decent sized audience and it's a wonderful group of people. And they were all bugging out that I was going to relapse. And uh, to be honest, like that didn't even cross my mind because it was the relapse that killed the two of them. Um, I mean, I kind of made a decision with my, I made a decision with myself that I wasn't going to get high anymore when I got sober. And, uh, if I got high with a baby in a house and a, and an eight year old at the time and uh, a wife who had just, uh, had a C-section, like, how are they going to take care of themselves? You know, like the, the amount of, and ex- the amount of shit that I would be in if I had decided to use drugs at that moment was more than I could handle. I knew that that was not a moment to get high. You know right. what I mean? Like yeah. it wasn't even a thing. It was like, I need to, I, I just, I needed to keep doing what I was doing. I, I needed to keep working. I needed to work more. I needed to keep making the show. I needed, I needed to just, I needed to, in, basically, People, I mean, the reason that I always got high was because I liked how it made me feel. I liked the adventure of it. I liked feeling, um, I also loved feeling high. But, but what, when I stopped getting high, the way I, I learned to enjoy my life was to make it as rich as possible. And just adding things to it, being busy, being productive, being creative. So I think in that moment, I knew I needed to add things to make me happy without losing the sobriety that I had worked so hard to get. I love that you shared, Dave, that you said like you realized, you know, not only were you not going to go back and you were going to continue forward, but also that you really wanted to enrich your life and, you know, bring in all these different aspects that would continue to give you happiness and make you feel content. What, what do you think it was, you know, about, you know, your journey and everything that you're going through that it clicked in your mind that like, I need to enrich my life and I need to, you know, focus on these different positive things and I need to do these different things for myself because I feel like a lot of people, no matter what they go through, whether it be, you know, drug addiction, postpartum depression, you know, losing people in their lives, you know, all the, you know, regular depression, all the, you know, types of, you know, challenges in their lives. A lot of people can't find the other side after going through the dark. And so for you, not only did you find the other side and found the light, but you also really kept pushing forward and saying, what else can I do to enrich my life? Where do you think that came from? Well, I think it, first of all, it was because I knew in, in myself, I, I mean, like lots of people love to have fun. You know, fun is pretty great. You know what I mean? And, uh, and I, I, when I grew up, I grew up in Manhattan and I grew up at this very, very amazing school. I got into the school when I was like four and I didn't leave the school until I was like 17. So like in that period of time, I made like the closest friends that I was ever going to make. And I'm still incredibly close with that group of people. And it gave me this kind of foundation of like, 
loving to have fun and loving to make jokes and loving to like just be amused and be a part of something. So like in my life, I always just, I always wanted to have fun and I always wanted to be connected to friends and stuff. And uh, in the beginning of doing drugs, it was kind of an extension of that where I would get high with my friends and it would be fun. It turned into an isolated, terrible thing. So when I finally got sober again, I wanted to have fun again. So I, want, I connected with my friends. Uh, I love to play music. I just knew that the only way that I was going to survive was to have fun. You know, so I, I was like, I'm going to play music. I'm going to make a podcast. You know, I'm going to learn how to cook. I'm going to do anything uh, to keep my mind off myself. You know, it, it's like addiction is a, they call it a disease of self-obsession, you know, and, and the way you deal with it is to not be so stuck on yourself. So for me, I, I said, whatever that I could do to make myself not think about myself was going to work. And, uh, and the more involved those things were, the more richness they had, the easier it was to get into it. And Dopey was like the best thing because number one, I had a great friend that I did it with, which was Chris. Number two, we developed an audience of friends, you know, the Dopey Nation who like became totally uh, involved with the show. Oh, and yeah. Three, it was just something that we, I mean, we started making the show uh, in, you know, I think it was uh, 2016 and, uh, and we, I never missed a week of it since then, even when Chris died. Like, I, I've been all about it and, and staying steady and staying obsessed with something that isn't me and it isn't drugs is, is what does it for me. Staying consistent and not quitting, you know? Right. The consistency has helped you to continue to kind of maintain, to move everything forward. The only reason the show is... is you know, first of all, the show isn't even big. The show is a tiny podcast that's like a little bit bigger than most tiny podcasts. And the only reason it has any kind of following is because I never stopped doing it. That's the <laughs> only, you know, I, right. I think anybody that wants to do anything, the number one thing is consistency. Everything else is second. Consistency is first with anything. That's true. I mean, I think that's a really good tip and point that to share for anyone, you know, with what they're working through in their lives is when you are consistent and you continue to move forward, that's when you actually see change. And that's when you actually see growth and all of that, because totally. you see you it know, over time, right? You see yeah, it over time. exactly. Over time. Right. And, and, and being able to, you know, stick with that and, and keep moving forward in what you're doing. And I think that that's, you know, that's a challenge for many people, especially in today's world where, you know, normally, you know, we are very, very fast paced and we don't stop and really, you know, like, you know, smell the roses and enjoy the rainbows. And I think that you've done a really great job of like you said, like you enjoyed fun and it was fun for you when you were first doing drugs, but then you realized it became this really horrible, you know, very scary habit. And yeah. you decided to, after getting sober, like find the fun again, but like in different ways and then being consistent in that and being able to find, you know, like what it was that, you know, gave you that enrichment in life and, and everything, but continue to be consistent in your life. So you weren't feeling like you were bouncing all over the place. Totally. Totally. I mean, like the, my favorite thing about Dopey 
was uh, we started Dopey to entertain each other and to have a good time. And we did. And, um, and, and as it grew, everyone was like, oh, Dopey is helping me, this and that. And me and Chris would just laugh our asses off about it because we weren't trying to help anybody. You know, <laughs> we, we, we didn't want to help anybody. We wanted to have a good time and we wanted it to be stupid and funny. And it occurred to me that the only way that it would help anybody is if we didn't, if we just made it to entertain people, because if we had tried to make something that helped anybody, it wouldn't have been entertaining and it wouldn't have been helpful. You know what I'm saying? It, yeah. it's, it's the fact, and we always just wanted to keep drug addicts company and, uh, and we got to do that. And, um, you know, and I still get to do that. And it's like, I feel really, 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 um, fortunate and, and grateful that like people are entertained by the dumb show. And, um, you know, I wish that Chris could have been around to uh, to see it grow. You know, he didn't get to see it grow and he didn't get to stay sober. And I know that if there's an afterlife, Chris is like, I'm a fucking idiot. You know, I know. <laughs> you want this to happen like well, that. what I was going to say, I mean, you know, everyone's different, but I'm very spiritual. And I'm sure, you know, in some way, shape or form, he's still with you when you're podcasting and he's still checking everything out and he's getting to see all the amazing things you're doing on, you know, your own and kind of with, you know, with him and his legacy and everything. And like, I think that's, you know, amazing. I think it's so great that you continue it even with him not being here. Yeah. Well, there isn't a show that we don't mention him. I keep him in all the social media. It's like, it's just, it's his show still, even though he's not alive to enjoy it. Right. Yeah. No, of course. Of course. And like, you know, being obviously, you know, a dad of two and everything you've gone through, how do you think it's shaped you now, especially like being, you know, five years sober? How do you think it's shaped you now into the father that you are and like, you know, how fatherhood is for you now versus obviously how it was when you first became a dad? Well, I mean, that's an, another thing that I didn't even think of in the last question, which is like when I'm talking about having fun. Like when my first daughter, I mean, in the beginning, I, I find it hard to deal with babies. Like when babies can't talk, I find it very hard to, to deal with them. Oh, yeah. I think a lot of people do because you're like, please just tell me what you want and stop crying. Of course. Right. But the second that you can share a laugh, the second that you can have a moment, that you can have a joke, you know, everything changes. And I think uh, my relationship with my first daughter uh, was just like, it was so inspiring. And it was like, it was just like, uh, it was a bolt from, from the, from God into my brain and into my heart. It was like total, um, epiphany. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and me and her would go to the Bronx zoo or we would go to the statue of Liberty or we'd go to central park or we'd ride the subway or we'd watch TV or I'd cook for her. And it was like such a deep bond for me. Like, or we'd go to the pizza place and like just spending time with her was like, I mean, we became friends. Obviously I was her father, but, uh, I loved her more than anything. And, um, and just being able to be that for her and be, and then also like, I like being tough with her. Like I love not spoiling her. I love like telling her she can't have something and explaining why because the universe can't give you everything you want. And, and, and me and her have like a very special relationship. Um, and I think, you know, I'm scared of the fact that she has, uh, you know, drug addict genes in her. 
and I, and I, and I've told her that I was on drugs and, um, and I'm scared as she gets older to, to sort of explain it to her. But at the same time, I feel like I've been to places that I don't want her to go to. And I feel like maybe she can benefit from my mistakes, hopefully. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I was going to ask that question of you. I was going to say, you know, are you going to, um, you know, speak to her about all this? Are you going to share your journey with her? With, with both of them, I guess. I mean, obviously your little one when she's older, but are you, do you plan on kind of teaching them through you? Uh, definitely. Uh, it's just, it's just incremental. You know, I mean, when we started Dopey, I didn't want her to know anything about it. But also when we started Dopey, I didn't realize it was going to be this incredibly positive uh, recovery community. I thought it was just going to be a bunch of drug addicts making jokes. So like as it became this very positive thing, and then when Todd and Chris died, I had to explain to her that they died because of drugs and that I used to take drugs and that I make this show to help people kind of not take drugs, you know, um, and yeah. I think she gets it. And, uh, and I mean, in this day and age, like she has friends in her school that their parents are still on drugs and they live with their grandparents or they've lost a parent because of it. I mean, it's so prevalent in our society where these kids are, are coming from situations like mine or worse, that it's a, it's a very, very relatable story. Uh, I, I totally plan on uh, increasing her knowledge of my story as she can handle it. I do not want to give her more than she should know so early. Right. Of course. But, I, but, but it's great that you let her know at least kind of, you know, the, the realness of what was going on and, and, you know, what was happening. Because I think a lot of parents don't want to share certain parts of their lives because they're afraid that they'll, you know, do something similar or they're afraid to kind of be judged by their own children. Or, you know, there's so many different reasons that I've heard from others. They don't share certain parts of their journey. And I just think that, you know, how you just said, like, you want her to understand and you want her to learn from you. And I just think there's so much more teachable moments in that because it's real life. And, you know, it's, it, it, it does happen to, you know, many people and, you know, there are all different hurdles you go through in life. And I think the more we're honest with our own children about how hard life can be, the more they can handle instead of just this pretty picture and sweeping it under the rug and being like, Oh, but it's all fine now. Yeah. I didn't want to, I didn't really want to ever tell her it was when Chris and Todd died and I was such a mess. You know, I remember when we found out that Todd had died, I was sitting in the backyard and I was just crying my eyes out and she, she heard me crying and she wanted to know why I was crying. And, um, and I tried to explain it to her. Then we wound up going, I think it was around, I want to say it was around the 4th of July, or I don't even remember. It was such a traumatic thing that I, I've kind of kept the dates out of my mind for some reason. But we went, I remember we went to a pool and the pool, no, it was early in the summer. They hadn't opened the pool yet. And we went to the pool and the pool didn't open. And then we went to get pizza and she was asking me for something. And I like yelled at her. And I, kind of, I was so angry and so upset about my friend having died. And then I, then I had to explain it to her because you can't, you can't let a kid suffer because you're suffering without trying to offer an explanation and, um, 
and and I think right was that was when I realized that she was going to have to know more of the story than I had wanted her to know, and I think it has benefited her, and and I think more of the story will benefit her more as she gets older. Right, and yeah, as she gets older and she has actual questions for you, and she can ask you, and you can share with her, and you know, and and, and she can learn from them. Totally, but I, I have to say that I like I've never had an experience um, like half as good or, or a million, you know, it was just being their father is like the best thing that ever happened to me. And, uh, and having them in my life is like, just, it's, I mean, it sounds so schmaltzy, but it's very, very true. You know? So I'm very, very grateful that it worked out the way it did. Yeah. But that's so amazing. And I love that you share that. Cause I feel the same way. Like I, I feel like my life has changed so much for the better and has enriched so much for the better from having Amelia. And I feel like she teaches me every day, even when I have super hard days or I don't feel patient or I don't feel like the best mom. I feel like she's just like that shining light that I never knew I needed or really wanted in my life that, you know, now I'm like, oh my God, how could I ever have lived without you? And now with this like second, you know, little baby girl on the way, I'm like, wow, like I can only imagine how much that love is just going to expand. Totally. Except, except during the, the coronavirus. I could do without oh, the kids during yeah, the coronavirus. I know. I, it's the worst. It, you know, <laughs> it, 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 it's that, it, you know, it's like such an uncertain time. And I, I think that going back to what you were saying of like enriching your life and just finding the fun and the joy, that's what we're trying to do as best we can. You know, it's just like, let's just watch a fun show as a family together as, you know, family of three on Netflix or let's eat ice cream or, you know, whatever it is to just, you know, get, you know, keep going and survive and, and everything. And I can kind of find those like little silver linings, you know, with everything going on and being like, okay, well, you know, my husband, Justin is home from work and he wouldn't have been, you know, if, you know, this hadn't happened. So we get time, the three of us, and I'm so happy to wake up every morning and like be like, dad, dad, and like see him and like get to be with him in the morning and, you know, all these things. And I'm like, I just keep telling myself, I have to focus on the good and like what enriches our lives and just kind of, you know, obviously still be, still being affected by what's going on, but trying to not let it affect what's happening as much as possible. Right on. I'm going to give you, though, I'm going to give you permission to hate it for a little bit every day. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's I think, terrible. I think, I think I need that permission. <laughs> you need it yesterday. So, Check this mom, out. You have mom guilt and you feel like, you know, you should always keep shit together and, you know, do what you can have to do and this and that. So, so I appreciate that permission. No, you're allowed to hate it. Uh, yesterday, my baby, who's going to be two in May, drank antifreeze. Okay. Oh, my gosh. She drank antifreeze out of uh, the base of the basketball hoop that, you know, that has water and antifreeze. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, um, and my, my partner, Linda, had to rush her to the emergency room. So I'm with our older daughter, Nora, and Nora is just weeping, so scared that Susan was going to be in trouble. I knew Susan was going to be okay. Um, but uh, so me and Nora wound up uh, watching The Simpsons. Uh, listening to the end of uh, Harry Potter and um, the Goblet of Fire, and we drew comic books and we ate brownies, and uh, and then we went and picked up Linda and uh, Susan from the emergency room, and it was a tough day. But um, yeah, I would say that's tough. 
it's crazy obviously you know like i was on the phone with my mother-in-law and she was out of her mind but the truth is everything is okay like imagine all the people who like things don't go well and they don't you know what i mean and their daughter has to stay in the emergency room or you know what i mean like things went well for us and, and even on these days that i hate with the coronavirus, I mean, I would just sit in front of the TV with these kids. My partner, like, is a much better parent than I am and doesn't <laughs> and wants to, like, teach them and do fun stuff, and it's great. But, like, I am not the best parent all the time. I would love to just, like, I, I was raised by the TV, and I wound up becoming <laughs> a total heroin addict. So it's definitely better to not raise my children with the TV. But, like, at the same time, the other way is a lot of crazy work, and it makes you go crazy. Yes, it does. Absolutely. It's true. And I, and I think acknowledging that is important. Yeah. But it's still fun. I mean, I, I was just... Uh, like my older one is doing homeschooling with Linda and I was with the little one and we were downstairs and we were playing piano and we were singing and it's, it's a lot of fun. And, and it's like, when you get to that point of total frustration and boredom, that's where you can break through into delirious good times again. Yes. So true. Yeah. What I was going to say, so what are you guys doing to like kind of keep, you know, your two going and handling everything during this time? Uh, well, today it's like freezing rain here, but yeah. every day we've yeah. taken like a hike or a walk or we've driven to like a secluded beach or a park. Um, and, and that's helped a lot breaking up the day. The fact that the little one takes a nap is awesome. The fact that the bigger one can read on her own for a period of time is great. Um, it's just breaking up the day as much as you can, you know? Yeah, it's so true. I know I've been trying to do the same. It's like, finding the different things you can do to just give them a little bit more of a, a less feeling like we're just stuck in the house kind of feeling. And also for our sanity of like, it's not, we're not just stuck in the house. Right. Just breaking up the day as much as humanly possible. Yeah, no, I think that's, I mean, I think that's, that's a really good point and a really good tip. And, you know, I think we're, we're all in survival mode. We're all trying to do our best right now, especially as parents. It's a very, it's a very weird and, hard time to parent totally but it, it also i mean there, there's that and then there's also like i wouldn't have had all this time with uh these kids if this thing hadn't happened you know what i mean it, it's a double-edged sword you know and i think any time in history it becomes a weird time we haven't seen a plague like this hit a, hit the earth for a hundred years and there certainly wasn't internet and cable tv and you yeah. know modern medicine and stuff so obviously it is a weird time but we do i mean everybody being forced to stay at home promotes uh, families being together. And I think as long as the family has something good going on, that can be a positive. You know, I think it's very hard for like drug addicts and alcoholics who are at home with their kids and they're using, like it's hard to find the silver lining there, but hopefully they do, you know? Right. No, and I love that you, that you said that about families being together and silver lining. Cause I've been also trying to do the same and, and say that to myself, like, you know, this is time that I get to have now with uh, just Amelia and time with Amelia and Justin before this next baby girl joins us. And, you know, we'll no longer be a family of three and all these changes that are becoming into our own world. I get to, you know, really be blessed to have that time, just us to bond and continue to really strengthen our bond before she arrives. Totally. I mean, this is like the ultimate bond strengthening time. Yeah. Um, 
and, and like whatever you can get done, you get it done. And whatever you can't get done, you can't get done. You know, it's just, it's one of the, I mean, like one of the greatest things they say in 12 step world and recovery is they say, because addicts are so crazy and alcoholics are so crazy and they can fly off the handle so easily. They always say the best thing to do is to, uh, uh, live your life and live your recovery as though it's a loose garment, you know, do not pull it too tight. Do not get crazy about how it fits. Just let it sit on you loosely. And I think with this whole coronavirus thing, let the coronavirus sit on you like a loose garment. Don't get caught up in expectations or anything, you know? I think that's a really good tip. And I love how you phrase that. And it's so true. It's like, there's really nothing you can do. So you kind of just have, besides obviously being safe and cautious and washing your hands, social distancing, it's like, you really just have to just go with it. And I think that's a really good valid point you just gave, but also not just for what's going on in our lives, but also just as a parent, like to just go with it. Sometimes that's what being a parent is. Yeah. It's, it's way easier. You can't really, it's, you, there's just only so much you can do. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. There's only, yeah, there's only so much you can do and you just have to, you just have to kind of ride that, you know, that wave and, and, and just go with it. Well, Dave, you've been so awesome. And, and thank you so much for sharing so much of like, you know, your own real raw journey. Is there anything else you'd want to leave my audience with, especially, you know, maybe anyone who might be fighting to be in a better space, especially as a parent and everything, anything else you'd want to share? Um, I just think that anybody, anybody who's struggling with an addiction thing, um, the easiest thing to do is to try 12 step stuff because it really is effective if you take suggestions. And then if you're just sort of down, I, I recommend doing something that makes you happy. I mean, even if it's watching TV and eating cake, you know, do something that makes you happy, get yourself out of your own head and, uh, and, and try to enjoy yourself. You know, that, that's right. it. I mean, like life, life can be very painful and for me, I know that I like to reward myself with things to get myself out of my head. And if you want to listen to Dopey, check it out. It's on iTunes. It's everywhere. Oh, yeah. Anywhere you find a podcast, listening to my show, you'll find Dopey. Well, Ateev, thank you so much. I was going to say, go ahead and plug yourself and tell us where we can, of course, uh, find you and, and, you know, more on you and your journey. Yeah, Dopey is ever. It's anywhere that podcasts are, you can check out Dopey. It's a fairly stupid show, and I don't usually recommend people listening to it but if you're curious go check it out no it's a great show and like you said it really is like you know this kind of funny but comedic show but also really is such a self-help show and so many people from your community have come together and have found so much you know within you and everything you and chris did and so i just think that's amazing so thank you so much for being on and uh stay stay safe and and well and till next time guys cheers bye Thanks, Allie. Have a good one.